What's going on, ladies and gents? This is Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com. I've got special guest Kate Hadamio on the line today, and we're going to talk about all things keto as it relates to women, pregnancy, and beyond. So without further ado... How are you, Kate? I'm doing great. How are you doing? It's so nice to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. I was on your podcast. We recorded, what was it, last week? Yeah, last week, and it's about to launch pretty soon, and I know everyone's going to go crazy. We ch- we covered lots of good topics, and everyone loves to to hear from the savage. <laughs> well, likewise. likewise. <laughs> I'm going to be learning a lot today on this podcast because I don't plan on being pregnant anytime soon, but I get a lot of pregnancy <laughs> questions, so we'll just we'll just tackle it all and see where see where the conversation takes us. Let's do it. So before we dive into that, can you give the audience a little bio kind of on on what got you into the space, kind of who you are and what brought you in the first place? Sure. So I have been a fitness professional for the past decade. Um, really got my my start with spin because I love dark rooms, loud music, and being on a bike and hard pumping cardio. <laughs> and nice. that's kind of where I stayed for for a while. And then I just kind of started to expand. And um, for a little while, I was a master trainer for Insanity and P90X. Um, and during this time, I was subscribing to the same type of nutrition that most of us were, you know, like the six small meals a day and low calorie and low fat. And I just thought that not feeling great and having a 3 p.m. energy crash every day was normal. And then Mm -hmm. I had just decided that I wanted to pursue nutrition a little further. And so I went through the Institute of Nutritional Leadership with Dr. Josh Axe, who's so awesome. And that's when I really learned about keto. And it it just made sense to me. It made sense about how this works in our bodies and in our brains. And I was working with some clients, a group of women who had totally plateaued, I mean, for like months and no matter how much of like a caloric deficit they were in, which, you know, was a whole other problem or how hard they worked out, just nothing was working. So I invited them to give keto a try with me. I kind of put together an outline of a program and, you know, they were crazy enough to say yes. And over the course of like eight weeks, the average amount that these women were losing was like 20 pounds after being totally plateaued for months. So I knew I was onto something then, and I wasn't coming at this from a weight loss perspective. I didn't need to lose weight. You know, I was teaching a lot of fitness and I guess I have good genes, but what, what I got was that sustained energy that I had missed out Mm -hmm. on my whole life. And I'm originally from Hershey, Pennsylvania, totally sugar addicted. And that was the other thing that happened. I was able to like break that sugar addiction. So for me, it just became a lifestyle. And I've just kind of been constantly tweaking things and improving my programs and how I work with clients and how, you know, what information we build into the ketogenic living coach certification program, just to, you know, continue to make it better and more sustainable and unique to the client. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's it, it's so cool. I like the more, you know, with, you know, scientific research that comes out, yeah. the, the more this evolves and you change your, like as a coach myself, it, it's cool to mm-hmm. to be in the student mentality and just learn and be able to apply that knowledge to your clients. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And something that I really love about you too is 
and something that I, I learned from our conversation was that, you, you know, you adjust your clients macros weekly and, mm-hmm. and you don't prescribe to this one size fits all approach either. I love your approach you know, your, your client, your client led approach. And I think that that's why you're, you're so successful and you get your clients so many good results. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Like it it blows my mind that people think of their nutrition as such a a static, you know, Mm -hmm. entity in which it doesn't ever change. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if someone loses, you know, 60 pounds, it would make sense that their nutrition would change along that. And after that, um, but that's a foreign concept. And then the fact that people are so quick to make these huge drastic changes with their nutrition and their training that is basically just setting themselves up for failure from the get-go you know i would rather make those weekly changes but have them you know small incremental changes that are much much easier and sustainable in the long term and that sustainability piece is really what we're after because i think like you know we've we've both worked with clients who you know they just want to lose weight quickly. And it just, they, they can do it. I mean, we can all lose weight, you know, sometimes in healthy ways and sometimes in unhealthy ways. But the worst thing I, I feel like is when people are just yo-yoing, it's breaking their metabolism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really want to dive into that because, you know, especially you, I'm assuming your, your mm-hmm. predominant client base is female. And yeah. I see that, I see it in males too, but it's much more apparent in females where they'll, they'll yo-yo diet and they'll start just Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll be like just bottomed out on their caloric intake yeah. for months, if not years on end. And mm-hmm. that is a very long-term damaging protocol that is going to be, is going to have a lot of negative repercussions. So kind of dive into that and what you've found in working with clients over the years and just kind of the trends that you see. You know, I have had, I have a lot of women coming to me that have yo-yoed a lot and they see keto and they see, you know, people doing it on Instagram or something and they're losing significant amount of weight. So that's what's attracted them to this lifestyle. And then when they don't lose 60 pounds in their first month, they get super frustrated. Um, and, or they, they lose and then they lose, you know, that first week or something. And then it really tapers off to a few ounces or something like that. And they, they get immediately frustrated again. And we really have to talk about what they've done to their metabolism and what their body is looking like now. Um, what type of metabolic damage they've done. I work with women who are like, I'm just not hungry. I'm just never hungry. Well, that's a huge sign of a slowed metabolism. And we, we get that too, from like you said, years of, caloric deficiency. I have women that are terrified to go above a thousand calories, like a thousand calories. Do you, like I would shrivel up and die if I only had, if I was only eating like a thousand calories, but they've done this for so many years and they wonder why, you know, they struggle to even eat once a day. And I'm not saying that, you know, one meal a day is bad, um, especially depending on what your goals are and what that meal looks like. But man, they're just not hungry, constantly tired. Hunger hormones are all thrown off. Um, it, it, I mean, it's those years of of sitting in a caloric deficit and over exercising. It is it's breaking their body down, and then they don't understand. Well, I'm only eating once a day. Why can't I lose weight? Or I'm only eating a thousand calories, and I know I'm expending more than that. Why can't I lose weight? Because your body doesn't know what to do anymore. Your body has no idea like what to even do with what you're feeding it or how to use the calories appropriately. It's like we have to retrain the body to like l- live again 
to burn fat. And oh gosh, it's it's a frustrating process for the client. It's a challenging process for me as the coach, but those that are willing to stick with it have had incredible changes, not only in, you know, their body composition, but you know, their hair is not falling out anymore. Their skin isn't dry and damaged. Their nails aren't just like peeling and ripping off. There's so much more that we look at, you know, outside of just weight and body composition. Yeah, 100% agree. And it's kind of hard to convey that message to people because like their their perspective is their reality, right? But I mean, you get down to, you know, sub 1000 calories, your your body is like it's in survival mode. Like it's it's going to stop you know, having having any kind of preferred outcome. It's just going to be adverse outcomes at that point. And the, it, like it's not going to lose any weight. Like your body's a sponge. It's going to hold on to everything that you give it, which is why they'll eat very minimal, you know, food intake. And it oftentimes gets turned to fat. Like it's not really used as muscle. Like your body's storing that for later. It, and it takes, you know, you have to add those calories back in and reverse that out, which is a scary process as well yeah. for someone that's, you know, not wanting to, put on any more body fat, but you have to convince that your, your body that it's not at a, you know, extreme deficit and that there is food abundant around it that it can use for fuel. And then that will trigger the, you know, positive response you're looking for and not just hoard as body fat. Oh my gosh. A thousand percent. And, and it, it, when we reintroduce strength training, because a lot of the women that I'm working with are, you know, the hard cardio and don't get me wrong. Like I totally love a spin class but that's not all I do. And, you know, they, they are still kind of in that mentality that they have to do hours of cardio to burn fat and they're not doing any sort of strength training because they they don't want to get bulky. They don't want to gain weight, even though it's muscle. And, um, they're, they're not understanding that if the goal, if they want to burn body fat, they've got to build lean muscle. And I'm sure you see this in, um, in the world that you're in. Oh yeah, absolutely. With bodybuilding. Yeah. I don't know if it was on your podcast uh, that we recorded last week or if it was with Laura and I had on my podcast a while back, but we're trying to figure out where the whole stigma of, you know, women lift weights, you look like one of those bodybuilding men on the cover of a magazine in, in a week's time comes from because I, it's this yeah. far from the reality. Yeah, it's, it's but wild. But are so scared to put on muscle. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'm like, don't you realize how sexy, like long, lean muscle work, like looks? I just, I mean, I think, well, you know, I think like there's a difference between wanting to look thin and wanting to look fit and healthy. And there's, for some weird reason, there's a disconnect. Yeah, it's it's, it's you know? sad, you know, like I think the, the whole model-esque look, you know, like the mm-hmm. European models of just, you know, malnourishment is is appealing to some, which is sad because that's not really the ideal picture of health by any means. Um, mm-hmm. But there's like a disconnect between that versus, you know, like the the huge jacked vascular veiny bodybuilder women that are taking, you know, copious amounts of testosterone. Like there is a middle ground there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think you just hit like the model mentality on the head too. I don't, I think this was like a few years ago um, and I didn't watch this show, so I could be totally wrong, but you remember like America's Next Top Model? I remember there being mm-hmm. some controversy about one of the women who was like a size eight and like Tyra was like, Oh, she can be our plus size model this season. We're like, what? Because she's a size eight. Like that's, that's crazy. Yeah. It's honestly very disheartening, um, you know, to see kind of how media, which has been like on a 
huge rise like with you know social media and all that we have available to us via the internet but this very negative illusion of what an ideal female figure should look like and you know for me uh-huh. as a male like it doesn't really affect me as much because you know I, I i'm totally off in left field as a body butter but i would have to assume that for you know women that are that are not 100% confident in how they look and who they are like that image is just constantly burning at their back of the mind, telling them this is how they're supposed to look. Yeah. And that just leads to all kinds of negative relationships with food and training and everything else. It, it totally does. I mean, I've been, I've been one of those women who like, I was just talking about this with uh, another friend of mine yesterday who we were talking about these, like, you know, the, the, the trouble spots, you know, that you have on your body. And I was saying like that for years, I hated like the sides, right? The, the, the love handles because they were the first place that weight went always. And the last place that weight came off. And so I've always got literally up until recently have been taking pictures of myself, like from the side, you know, like turn to the side because that's where I look the most like fit and in shape. And sometimes when we, when we look in the mirror at ourselves, and we're like naked or whatever, the first thing that we zoom in on is those perceived trouble spot areas. My friend was saying like, oh, like I have like a thigh issue. I'm like, oh, I have a hip issue. I'm like, what are we doing here? And who who says like why we need to look a certain way? Is that something that we've thought of or something that we feel like a responsibility to give somebody else a visual experience of ourselves? I don't know, but I feel like so many of us struggle with like a little bit of not only disordered eating but some like body dysmorphia yeah i feel like body dysmorphia i mean it's it's always been there obviously it's like a new thing mm-hmm. but it's, it's becoming much more talked about now which is good you know i think people need to talk about it and kind of yeah. get their feelings out there but it's it's sad when you start hearing of all these stories of body dysmorphia where you have you know like a, a perfectly great looking individual that just has this illusion in their mind of what they think they look like or what they think they should look like and that's just a huge disconnect from what they actually look like. And, and it's sad that, mm-hmm. that, you know, the media and society and all that's, you know, played a negative role in that, you know, I'm all for being the best you can be. Like if I'm very hard on myself, totally. like if I'm, if I'm fat and I not as in shape or not as athletic as I want to look, like I beat myself up about that. But then I, you know, take actions to fix that. But that is very different from mm-hmm. having like an unrealistic, idea and just not being happy with who I am. Like even when I'm in the off season, like I am right now, like I'm the heaviest I've been mm-hmm. in years. I accept that fact of the stage that I'm in right now in my training and in my, you know, competition career. And I'm okay with that. Like I embrace it. Like people, <laughs> that's a necessary part in making dieting and training and nutrition sustainable. Like you have to, you can't always be dialed in hundred percent of the time. Oh my gosh. Exactly. Exactly. I think that that you just hit it too. Like that's the big piece of sustainability here. You, you've got to be able to like step back and live a little bit or just allow yourself to not be so strict all the time. I don't even know what that's about. And like why we, why we get into that mindset is it, well, you know what, maybe it's like that all or nothing. I either have to be perfect or I suck at life, you know? What what do you do? I'm I'm curious. Um, like as a female in in your career path and your endeavors, how have you been able to to wrap your head around that and make you know sustainability, you know, on the forefront of your mind and, and make you know not being at your A game 100 percent of the time okay? 
It's it's been a struggle for me, and I I hate to admit this, but I've felt of a, a sort of um, responsibility to constantly be on my A game because, like you, you know, I'm in like a client facing role, and and so I've put pressure on myself to um, to be really perfect and dialed in on things, um, and you know, and I've had seasons of my life where you know, I've got a lot going on and I feel like I'm sitting at my computer late at night, not really sleeping, um, kind of stress eating like spoonfuls of almond butter and pork rinds or something like that together. Cause it's a delicious combination if you haven't tried it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I noticed that I was getting like fluffy and, um, I, I didn't feel good about myself then. Um, and, you know, so I would kind of go back to tracking macros and being a little bit more dialed in. And now um, I really just kind of let my body guide me. And I don't think of, um, all right, well, I'm going to eat this and then I got to work out like even harder tomorrow. I don't, because that is a disordered eating pattern that I've had that I have been finally successful in breaking and, um, more like, all right, I'm going to move because it makes my body feel good. And because I want to, um, and if I want to eat something because I'm out or it's my birthday or I want to go off plan or whatever, I think that number one, it's more realistic for me. It makes me feel better. Um, about life. It makes me have more fun. It's makes me a better role model for my kids so that I caught myself saying certain, like calling certain food as like junk or unhealthy or something. And instead I just will be like, "Ah, I don't really want that. I don't like how it makes me feel. So I'm going to choose this instead. And I, now I say that out loud to my kids, I have girls and um, my little one was at like a birthday party last week. And she's like, yeah, I don't know. I ate like a cupcake and I wasn't feeling so good. And I was like, well, what do you think? What do you think made you not feel so good? She's like, well, I think it was the sugar, you know, because I'm not really used to eating that, but I'm okay with having a little bit every once in a while. And I was like, that's great. Like that's how intuitive you are. (laughs) Um, and, and I also kind of came to the conclusion that not being perfect is better than being, you know, fake and miserable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I totally agree with you on that one. It's, I don't know, like for me, having like a, a cyclical approach to this is, is key. For mm-hmm. for someone that, that is not a competitor, like I don't know how I would do it. Like I don't know how you do it. I mean, I don't know that I would be able to. To, to be, you know, yeah. like that to me is harder than having like a specific season for, you know, like a contest prep versus an off season. Cause like with that, it's a very tangible, okay, now you're on your A game. Now you're not both have their pros and cons and you just accept that mm-hmm. for what it is. But to like not have that tangible, you know, disconnect or break in the seasons would be, I don't know, that to me just seems very hard. It is. And I guess like what has really worked for me is like, well, I mean, if I do get a little bit fluffy, I know how to take it off. You know, like I know that I'll just like dial in a little bit more or, you know, my family and I are going to Italy in, uh, in November and I've been very open in saying like, I am going to eat all of the pizza and pasta and gelato like while I'm there because it's there. And when I come back home, it's not an issue for me because I don't, I just don't keep those things in my house. I don't really ever crave them. And like home is, home is where I keto for the most part. Yeah. 
for sure. What what do you do like from a from a conference perspective? You know, like like if you're training a client, for instance, and you're you're not mm-hmm. dialed in, like does that kind of pull at you a little bit from a conference perspective, or cause you to self doubt yourself a little bit, or do you feel, you know, like with your track record and your your knowledge of what you're capable of, is, is it just like a non issue? So it was a little bit of an issue at first uh, for me for like the first like few years, but now I just kind of feel like. Um, I can guide them because, you know, sometimes you, you just, they're looking to you for that, for that accountability and support. And, um, I'm okay with being able to say to them, like, well, this is probably what is going to feel best for you. And let's give this a try. They don't really need to know what's going on in my private life because it's our coaching practice is not about me. It's all about them. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. For sure. What uh, you kind of alluded to your vacation you got coming up. How how do yeah. you um? Because this this is an interesting topic to me. Because some people are very diehard keto, no matter what. I'm not cheating. Some people are much more lax. Like you know, they base it off of you know location. Like kind of like seems like you're you're saying there. What is your thought process behind it? Like how do you justify? How do you reason? Like what 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 goes through your head? Well, so we actually. Um, we travel every summer to Colombia, where my husband, where my husband is from. Um, and I don't have a problem with staying strict keto there. And the reason is because I just don't love Colombian food. Um, I, you know, I just, I just never really have. So it's not an issue for me to just continue to eat, you know, high quality, um, animal fats. I do though, however, have to like BYO, um, things like coconut oil and things like that, because they're not available there. Like I can't find them. So there are foods that I just kind of bring along with me when we travel, but it's not hard for me to stay keto while I'm there because I don't want to eat anything else. Um, when we go to Italy, it's, I have a desire to eat like authentic Italian food. And I'm sure that like some days I won't want to eat pasta and I won't want to eat pizza or gelato. So uh, maybe I'll order when we're in Florence, I'll order like a steak Florentine or something like that. But I just give myself the the option, you know, um, I was really, 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 really strict for, you know, like two solid years. Um, and then when my husband and I went to, um, went to Europe, just the two of us, Last year, actually, like right around this time, we were in, um, I was fine when we were in London because again, like I just didn't want, I didn't want any of that food. <laughs> I was like just fine with ordering, like I knew how to order. Um, but when we got to Bruges, um, Belgium, my husband got this like Belgian waffle and, uh, you know, it had like chocolate on top or something. And I wasn't planning on eating any of it. And he's like, seriously, like we're in Belgium, have a bite of a freaking Belgian waffle. And I was like, Oh, I can't. I'm keto. He's like, don't you tell people that this is a sustainable lifestyle and and that they're not missing out on anything? He's like, how do you feel right now? Do you feel like you're missing out on something? And I was like, well, yeah. And he's like, eat the waffle. And I did. And I felt great. And, um, and I did go on while we were gone. We went to Prague during that time as well. I had some like beer and Belgian French fries and some waffles and other foods. And I didn't feel, not only did I not feel like sick or like, you know, how some people report when they feel like they get kicked out of ketosis, I never felt bad. I always mm-hmm. felt totally fine. We got home. It was super easy for me to just like hold a 24 hour fast and just get right back into the swing of things. I think you being strict for two years prior to that was a huge benefit and mm-hmm. you being able to, you know, cope so well with it. 
Oh, totally. Um, I think like when we start working with clients who are like, okay, well, when can I cheat? It's like, well, um, I wasn't aware that you were in a relationship with keto, but, uh, I, you know, I'm sure that you were cheating, but, um, but yeah, it's kind of like, well, why is that a priority? And, and how is that not going to be a priority anymore? Or why is not keeping up with a keto lifestyle, not a priority, you know, like, do you want to just go back to yo-yoing? Are you planning on losing weight and then going back into eating what you were eating before that put weight on? I'm confused. Can you clear that up for me? And usually they can't clear that up. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. It, it's 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 sad for me to see so many people being, you know, so excited to break the diet and breach their yeah. goals as opposed to just pulling out the stops and doing whatever it takes to reach the goals. Like, I don't know, it's just a upside down mentality in my opinion. But you know, like with you being strict for two years, knowing kind of how your body responds, knowing how your mindset towards it and your perspective towards it all is, and then going to like Belgium and having a waffle, like that is not near the negative impact of somebody that's, you know, one week into ketosis and already looking for their first out. Yeah, so exactly. Exactly. And they do. They And that's a good, that's a good way of referring to it. That first out. Well, I'm going to a birthday party. Okay, well, I can help you become prepared for that birthday party. What do you want to bring? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I bet uh, I bet you you get a bunch of questions of like like traveling and people use mm -hmm. like traveling or business trips or something like that as an excuse. Like, oh my gosh, it makes my skin crawl. Oh, I know, and and like again, that there's there's so many things that they can bring along with them to be prepared. I mean, there's like those single serving packets of almond butter and coconut butter, um, of you know coconut oil, MCT oils. There's those great like Sogo beef snacks, um, macadamia nuts. You can always bring avocados. There's just so much that you can bring along that can help you like keep up with things. There's keto brick. I mean, like if you're traveling, I think that that your, your um, product would be a great thing to bring. There's just, instead of looking for excuses, like look for a way to keep up with things. Yeah. 100%. 100% agree with you there. What about moms? Let's talk about moms and pregnancy and hormones mm -hmm. and all kinds of women stuff that I'm probably not the best suited for to answer. <laughs> okay. Um, well, a lot of the questions that I get, because I, I am working with a lot of moms that are like, well, how can I make this work for my family? Because I don't want to make a bunch of different meals for a bunch of different people. And oh my gosh, I could not agree more with that. I mean, I, I am, I'm not making like a bunch of meals. I'm just not. And I've got some picky eaters, one, one picky eater <laughs> in my house. And, um, wait, how many kids do you have? That, so I have two and then I have a stepdaughter that's with us every other weekend and we've got all girls. So, okay. and then surprise, another one on the way. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, we, I don't make a bunch of different meals, how we have made it work I made the mistake in the very beginning of trying to get everyone on board. And I like, you know, threw out things in our house. And I was like, we're not buying this anymore, blah, blah, blah. And it, it just made them a little bit resentful. And guess what? All of those foods somehow magically made their way back into our house. And it was me. I bought them because I'm the one that does the grocery shopping for everybody. But I was just tired of everybody bitching about it. Mm -hmm. So, um, what we ended up doing that worked really, really well was we just said, okay, when these, whatever foods run out, I'm just not going to replace them. So eat them up, you know, while they're here, I'm just not going to buy more when they're out. 
So, um, you know, we just were replacing breakfast cereal um, with my kids still eat obviously like a little bit of higher carb diet. So um, like they eat like gluten free toast sometimes in the morning and eggs. We do like lots and lots of eggs. They're in school now again. So I love giving them a hot breakfast to leave in the morning. Lunch has never been an issue. I've always packed their lunch. Um, I let them get involved in packing their lunch. We have those little Benko boxes, which are super cute. And um, we just pick keto foods. So, I mean, they eat like salami and cheese and, um, you know, some like almonds or macadamia nuts. They usually have some cucumber um, and then some berries as their like dessert. And it works super well for them. And we've done this like forever. And they love packing their lunches. And then for dinner, I usually just pick a protein that we all like, you know, um, and I've made it a lot of times in my instant pot because it's quick and easy and then serve it with some low carb veggies that we like and call it a day. Um, but that's how we've made it really work for our families. And that's what I explained to, to my clients as well. Like, don't, don't think that your family is just going to be all willing to just change overnight. I don't think that that's, that that's super realistic. and I don't think that they're going to be all into that. And by the way, my kids, thank God, are healthy. So they don't have any sort of like food allergies or anything that would prevent them from eating certain foods. So when they do go to birthday parties, they do eat like pizza and cupcakes and ice cream. And I'm fine with that. Like, I don't tell them, you know, you're not having that because it's junk. I'm like, all right. I mean, it's there and that's what you're going to eat. I've been to birthday parties before when with kids that have allergies that can't have pizza, you know, they've got like celiac or something. And I just remember the kids like crying, they felt so left out. And I'm grateful that, you know, mine can have those foods and it just comes down to a choice with them. And plus, like, <laughs> I remember like being in college and all the kids that lived like a super sheltered life before college, they were like the first ones to flunk out, <laughs> you know, in like the first couple of months, they like drank themselves out of college. Yeah. I think so, you know, being way, way overbearing, you know, with, with your family or, or anybody really, like if you're trying to like push keto, if you're trying to push anything on anybody, whether it be, you know, training, keto, religion, politics, anything, mm -hmm. it's just doomed for disaster. Um, totally. so you, you have to like set it up so that, you know, basically live by example like if you're seeing great success with it if you're noticeably healthier and have noticeably more energy more often than not they're going to take heed of that and, and become intrigued by it and want to mm -hmm. integrate whatever you're doing into their own life that's that's the best way to do it in my opinion yeah no i totally agree and that's what's worked that's what's been working for us and then uh, well on the on the pregnancy side of things so it's crazy like i um i've worked with so many women who um were like told by their doctors that they would never be able to conceive on their own, that they would have to either do like fertility treatments or Clomid or, you know, something like that. And, you know, within some time, you know, sometimes it takes a few months, sometimes it takes, you know, a year or more, um, they're pregnant. And it's kind of a surprise because they weren't trying. It just has happened. In my coaches community now, one is due, I think like next month, another one in November and another one in December. And apparently there's something in the water because recently we had a surprise of our own. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, pregnant, I'm telling totally. you. I know it, it is. I was like listening to like the keto diet podcast once. And I remember Dr. Nally being like, yeah, so if you're like actively trying to not get pregnant, maybe keto is like 
<laughs> Maybe you just need to like use something extra. And we're just like not good at natural family planning. So tracking <laughs> <laughs> apps. What are... about um? Yeah, like with, with the like, can you kind of dive into why that is? Like from the hormonal, you know, balancing impact of mm-hmm. keto alone. I mean, like on the male side too. Like for me, you know, doing competition preps, totally screwing up my hormones pre keto. It would take me months, if not longer, to recover from that. Whereas, like you know, keto being high in cholesterol, good cholesterol, improving testosterone. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything just improves from the male side of the spectrum. But I mean, the same is true for females. It is, and and I think that keto gets bashed a lot for hurting female hormones, like hurting the thyroid, and um, you know, like hurting. Um, you know, your hunger hormones. And I've totally found like the complete opposite. I have a lot of women in my practice that have gone from being on like, you know, like Synthroid for their thyroid. And it's like, this is so annoying because they were put on Synthroid because of like Hashimoto's and autoimmune. Like Mm -hmm. so, and they were told that like the Synthroid would help with their Hashimoto's, which is something that's like completely different. Um, But like, I've just found that um, and working with women. And it's, sometimes it does take a little bit of tweaking. You know, um, some women do really, really well with um, low carb and intermittent fasting. Some of them don't do super great with like intermittent fasting. So we kind of do like three meals a day with just spacing them out a little bit more. Um, some do best with adding on a little bit more carbs. It's very individual, but I have to say that all in all, like we've found solutions and keto has really, really helped them. And then on the the pregnancy side of things, I think that, um, again, so one of the one that's due in November or December, she did not know this um, before she conceived, but apparently her mom, and she's 35, I think, her mom went through menopause when her mom was 36. So she, she's like sliding in what she feels like is just under the radar. And she had been diagnosed with um, Hashimoto's and low thyroid function um, like months prior and was just, you know, worried about ever conceiving, not even thinking that it was going to be a possibility for her. But she's somebody who has been following like a fairly strict like keto protocol, you know, like kind of like an average, like that 75, 25 type mm-hmm. of ratio. Um, not incorporating additional carbs or anything. And she was very surprised to get a positive pregnancy test. Surprised, happy, but yeah. So it totally worked for her. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, And the other one that's due next month was she's dealt with PCOS for most of her life. And she was, you know, taking metformin and all that for it. Um, And, you know, PCOS is like insulin resistance. So we know that keto is literally like the Mm -hmm. best lifestyle to increase to you know increase your insulin sensitivity and improve that condition that insulin resistance condition and she followed it she was doing really really great with it wasn't eating sugars nothing and was again really surprised to be able to be welcoming a baby totally on her own because she had to she had to really try to get pregnant with her first one she had to go through fertility treatments and everything um and that was you know prior to keto And, you know, then this time around, no fertility treatments, nothing like without even trying was able to conceive. What about um, like on the flip side of that, like with the like, you know, the menstrual cycles and whatnot, have you seen any trends or patterns there with regards to women on keto? So that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting one, too. Some noticed that 
their period like was like irregular for a little while in the beginning. And what I've seen is that it's it's because keto is kind of like regulating your hormones. It's clearing out um, like the the glucose. It's improving your insulin sensitivity. It's it's getting rid of a lot of stuff that was maybe you didn't even realize was maybe causing you to be a little bit irregular. So um, like an an a OBGYN when the, what they consider pretty normal for cycles are every like. 28 to 30 days. Like that's pretty, you know, regular. Well, unless you're tracking and you're really like looking at your cycle, um, you kind of, there's a lot of women that don't realize how off they are, how some days it's like 25 days and other months it's like 32 days. Like that, that week of a difference is pretty big. Um, and so at first I've noticed that some women, um, like lost their periods or not lost, but it was a little bit irregular. And then around like the three month mark, it was like 28 days every month, like clockwork. And some women that I work with that are like perimenopausal or menopausal have seen, um, the perimenopausal ones have seen like a good regulation in their periods or um, their menopausal symptoms weren't as strong or their some of them were experiencing like really heavy bleeding. Um, and now they're not like that totally mm -hmm. regulated. I've also had some women who haven't, you know, they were experienced menopause. They hadn't gotten their periods in like a year. And then within like the first like six to eight weeks of keto, it suddenly came back. Um, and then it went away again, but, uh, they were a little bit surprised, but it's all, our bodies are just, uh, they're all unique, but it, it, this is a part of like regulation, mm -hmm. cycle regulation. Yeah, it, it is mind boggling how unique <laughs> each client I have is and then each individual just as a yeah. whole. I mean, especially when you throw in, you know, the hormones in tandem with keto, in tandem with, you know, lifestyle and exposure to, you know, whatever else you have going on. It's just, it's just crazy. Um, wh what have you noticed with regard to like, you know, pre-menopausal and post-menopausal and, and menopausal women with regards to, you know, eating keto in tandem uh, to their hormones being like that, but also like their body's ability to, you know, lose body fats um, and just kind of lean out, like what's affected from a performance standpoint? So many of the women that come to me that have hit that like menopausal stage, they are, they're sad and they've been told by their doctors that their weight gain is just a part of aging and it's something that they have to accept. So when they come to me, it's almost as like a last resort and they're already feeling very defeated, which is, you know, it's really frustrating like to go to a doctor and be like, oh, yeah, I mean, you're just getting, you're just gaining body fat because you're getting old. Like who wants to hear that? Um, mm -hmm. So, and, and they, they've been put on different things or, you know, they're having like all these like symptoms with like hot flashes and things like that. Um, and again, like different protocols work for different women. What I've seen is like going, going very low carb with them. Um, and then being able to incorporate some intermittent fasting usually works really well. Sometimes we cut out dairy, um, and we leave it out and we take a more like paleo keto approach and that works well for them. Some do not feel good intermittent fasting. Like they feel that their energy is really tanked. So again, we'll kind of do like the four or I'm sorry, three meals a day with about four hours in between each meal. Um, I 
have also found with them that um, leading with like natural sources of fats, like um, foods that are found in like high quality animal proteins or avocados, macadamia nuts, you know, things that are really naturally high, like foods that are just really naturally high in, in fat seems to work a little bit better for them than um, adding in more fats. So sometimes they don't do super mm -hmm. great, like starting off a day with bulletproof coffee, you know, cause it's like, it's too much like added fat. Um, so when we kind of focus on just leading their plates with naturally occurring fats, I've seen that work really, really well in the postmenopausal population. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. I think opting for fattier cuts from the get go, as opposed to trying to add your fat, like, like a chicken oh, yeah. breast with a bunch of added mayo is not going to be near as optimal as, you know, like a fatty beef brisket or something. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, a lot of times too, they're coming from like, again, like the, you know, the six small meals or calorie deficits or like lots of protein shakes. Um, and, and I don't know, I just find that a lot of like the protein shakes that they're consuming, cause they've been marketed to them specifically. I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> like this has like so much crap in it. Um, if we can just get you to eat like real food. I get that. like, sometimes protein shakes are decent and they're great if you're like running out, but like they were trying to eat them like every single day as like, a meal replacement and just wasn't doing, wasn't doing much. The good. perfect storm it seems is when you have, you know, a woman going through menopause that's been chronically, uh, you know, in a deficit, not taking enough calories and then <laughs> doing like a higher protein kind of keto and also trying to incorporate extended mm -hmm. fasting periods. That to me is just like the perfect storm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. To I totally could not agree with you more. I actually have a friend that was doing that, that exact same thing happened to, she was doing that on her own. She was doing a lot of extended fasting. Um, and then she kind of, she wasn't feeling that good. And so she was like, Oh, I'm, you know, all right, I'm going to eat and I'm just going to switch to like a carnivore approach. And I know that works really, really great for some people, but man, she felt even worse. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I'm all for extended fasting. There's so much, you know, research that backs, you know, mm -hmm. the, you know, cell autophagy, cell turnover, all the benefits that come from it, but not in the, in the, you know, instance of being chronically depleted in the first place. Like that's not going to have a benefit. Like it's just not. Right. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And she was like during that time, like during that time that she was doing all that extended fasting, she was actually like gaining a little bit of like, she wasn't gaining a lot like scale wise, but when she was doing like the DEXA scans at the gym, she was definitely losing muscle and gaining body fat. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's sad is, you know, they'll do that and they'll lose some initial water weight. So the scale will finally, after, you know, just months of just agony, it'll move down a little bit from that water loss from just fasting. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as they reintroduce food, it goes back up often higher than it was when they started. So it just becomes like a vicious negative feedback loop that, that yeah, it's just not good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. When do you, do you ever have your clients doing extended fasts and like, is there... Do you do them for certain reasons? No, I don't ever really, you know, do that. I, I've done extended fast myself. I've, you know, offered it mm -hmm. as an option, you know, in certain situations. But my my clients um, typically, you know, my, my typical client comes to me and they're wanting to change their body composition. Not necessarily all bodybuilders. Like I get a lot of, you know, athletic, you know, bodybuilding type clients. But people that want mm -hmm. to take a bodybuilding style approach and get really, really dialed in in a very efficient manner. And in that situation, like I'm, I'm trying to 
maximize all the muscle sparing effects. I'm trying to maximize mm-hmm. you know, ketone production and fat loss, but not at the expense of performance. And for me, you know, fasting is great, maybe, you know, quarterly or biannually, but to do it for the reason of fat loss, I think it's just kind of a, a negative, um, this is just a negative outlook on what the benefit of extended fasting truly is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And with you, like how many meals do you typically eat per day? I typically eat like two. And then if I get lower on my mm-hmm. calories, like if I'm, you know, kind of towards the end of a contest prep, then I'll kind of condense it into one meal. Cause I feel like psychologically speaking, being more satisfied from one larger meal is better than being almost satisfied from two smaller meals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a really good point. Like that almost satisfied. And I think that like, I, I, I think that a lot of people like don't allow themselves to feel, to eat to, to satisfaction or they are so used to like gorging themselves. It's like one or the other. Mm-hmm. And with well, like a competition prep, like that's kind of like its own beast entirely. Like there's not, you're like, you're going to be hungry. Like, I don't care what diet you're doing when you're going into a competition prep <laughs> and you're getting down to like, you know, sub 3% body fat. Like it's, it's, it's not a natural place for the human body to be anyways. So you have to kind of do mm-hmm. things that are unnatural, but that is not the majority of the population. So those rules don't really apply to most people. Um, yeah. but even, even with like the average person, like I've got pretty strict caloric floors. Like I don't take clients below a certain caloric range. And what yeah. what's just infuriating to me is seeing coaches that are like supposed experts taking clients less than a thousand calories. And oh, I just, Oh my gosh. I, I just like, I, I, I just, the, the, even the thousand calorie mark, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it just seems like so low and then it makes me think of you and how like we were chatting about the experiment that you did on your body with the 6000 calories a day. I was like, yeah, I mean like yeah. a, like 1000 calories, like I just don't even know uh, no, my my brain wouldn't feel good there on an extended period of time, you know. Yeah, it's just it's just not optimal. Like I don't ever like taking clients below 1300. Like that's pretty much my floor. If I've been working with them and they're like mm-hmm. a 5 foot tall you know, 110 pound female that's like on the last couple of weeks of her contest prep, then yeah, maybe I'll take them just slightly under that. But it's because mm-hmm. I'm watching them very strategically. Like if it's, you know, 99% of the time, I'm never taking them that low. And to see people go way beyond that, I mean, if that's just going to be damaging. That's just going to be damaging. And then there's, there's no reason well, for right. it. No, because like, really, like, what is the goal here? You you want to like be skinny or you want to be like in the best health ever? Like you want to feel the best that you've ever felt? Or you just want to like, yeah, be there's no, exactly, exactly. People, you know, it, it's, it's hard to get a point, get across the point that you have to reset your body's, you know, metabolism and hormones and kind of reset the, the foundation. And in doing that in like reverse dieting or doing like a caloric surplus, you may gain a little bit of weight short term, but if that mm-hmm. sets you up for, you know, sustain, sustained success going forward, then it's like totally a worthwhile, you know, expense. Like right now I'm eating 6,000 calories and I will for the next, you know, six months. But mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's way beyond what, what any person probably needs. Um, <laughs> but in doing so, I'm, I'm basically kind of resetting my body's, you know, set point so that, you know, in the past, whereas maintenance might have been twenty five hundred calories, now it'll be like 
you know, maybe even 3,500 calories so that when I diet down for competition prep, I'm not going to have to go, you know, to the 1650 that I was last year. I might be able to go as, you know, as low as 2000 and call it good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing what your body can do, but like, you're also very intuitive about like listening to what your body needs as well as knowledgeable about how to train for a specific purpose. And I think that that's like right. a huge benefit of like working with someone like you, working with a coach and having them, you know, be able to guide and monitor you rather than like just trying to figure it out on yourself and like, you know, on your own, getting into those forums where people are just like yelling at you for asking a question, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a whole bunch of information out there and I could definitely see how, you know, from somebody that, that's looking from the outside in and doesn't really know their next plan of action, there's just like paralysis analysis takes hold and you don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sim- simply working with somebody or even if you don't work with somebody, but picking a plan as long as it's like a well-founded plan, like you don't want to just do any old guru's advice, but just sticking to that for an extended period of time as opposed to switching it up every week mm-hmm. is, is absolutely key. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think like, what we what we both know to be true too is when we're looking you know we we have clients that are weighing themselves a lot and everything and it, we we want to be able to teach them too about body composition you know like when they're so glued to like what number that they want to look at and it's like all right well how what about percentage wise like how much of that how much of that number is muscle how much of that is body fat you know yeah i totally agree there's it's kind of funny it's all my clients you know there, there's a there's a weigh-in like I like weigh-ins it's just more data we can see kind of how your water weight's fluctuating everything mm-hmm. it's good information but it's not really good or bad or indicative of your success so keep that in the back of your mind yeah. take pictures take measurements but I tell you it's the hardest thing to get clients to commit to taking pictures and measurements it's like that's the best thing for them but nobody wants to do it exactly oh my gosh they'll they'll step on the scale like four times a day but you're right taking pictures and taking measurements where you're like that's where the accuracy comes in they're like nope mm-mm takes five minutes extra. Yeah. I think I'm just going to like make a new mandate with any client that works with me. You have to take pictures of measurements or I'm giving you money back. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. Maybe I'll do the same thing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, We totally got off on left field here, but I meant to ask before, what do you think about women that are pregnant? Like as far as their nutrition during pregnancy, should they, I mean, have you noticed any adverse effects whatsoever for them staying keto while pregnant? You know, a lot of women I've noticed, like when they are getting pregnant, that's when they do start craving carbs. Um, and, you know, not just carbs in the form of like, you know, vegetables, but carbs in the form of like breads and pastas and cereal and stuff like that. And while I don't think that we should be giving in to all cravings, I do think that sometimes cravings are indicative to where body is needing. Um, so I think that there are some good, you know, good swaps in there or, you know, instead of going for like a loaf of bread, maybe you choose to go for like a slice of like, you know, like a gluten-free bread. If you're not feeling like making yourself a keto bread or something like that, obviously there's tons of keto swaps out there, but I just, I, I noticed that right away, um, with some of the women that I've been working with that have become pregnant is they're like, Oh my dear God, I am craving carbs. I'm like, all right, well, what are you craving? And what if you had a little bit of that and, you know, tested on how your tested, how your body reacted. Um, and the one client of mine that's due in November 
has been totally fine. She's actually felt amazing. She's gained very little weight overall. The baby is incredibly healthy. Um, and she's able to stay, you know, pretty strict keto this whole time. And that's felt the best for her. But I really believe that we need to just like listen to our bodies and um, give it what it needs. Um, some For some, that will be staying with, you know, your normal keto macros and that makes you feel great. Um, and for some, maybe that means upping carbs slightly. I do know though that um, after the baby is born, I have a client who was a little bit concerned um, about her breast milk production because she wasn't producing as much. However, when we looked at um, what she was like pumping, the color and the the consistency of her milk was totally different while she was eating keto. It was like golden. It was super thick. Um, and she noticed that, you know, the baby was, was full and was sleeping for longer periods of time. So that is what worked for her. And when you're nursing, you kind of up your calories by about 500. Um, so obviously eating, eating at any sort of caloric deficit when you're pregnant or you're breastfeeding is not a good idea. So I think, making sure that your calories, that you're eating enough calories and that they're coming from good sources is, is really the most important. Yeah. That's really interesting about the, the breast milk scenario. Cause I've had several clients ask me about that as well. And I don't know if it's known mm -hmm. information, but like when the, when the baby's born, the baby's technically in like state of ketosis anyways. I mean the, the breast milk, like the colostrum yeah. that's, that's ketotic, um, you know, from a macro ratio standpoint. So there should be no concern there. It's very interesting though, that while eating keto, uh, you know, during breastfeeding, the consistency changes that drastically. Like it makes you mm -hmm. wonder, I mean, cause so much of the, the baby's health is kind of that, that foundation is laid during that time. So to be able to, you know, provide a much oh, yeah. higher quality breast milk to me, it's like a, it's like a no brain. Like I want a super baby. No, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, you know, and it's, so gut health, I learned this like, you know, I don't know, just under a year or so ago, but like gut health is directly passed on from mother to child. So I was like, yeah, oh God, like that's, that's so crazy. Like, why wouldn't we want to do like our very best, um, you know, while we can, I, you know, I was not, I did not find keto until like right after the birth of my second one. Um, so I did not have two keto pregnancies. I had two pregnancies where I was generally healthy. I mean, I only gained like 25 pounds with each one and had like small, healthy babies. I was super active with them. Like I was still teaching, you know, group fitness and, and, you know, exercising a lot. So I know that that helped, but like I ate a lot of cereal, a lot of cereal, mm -hmm. um, which now like I just, I, I, wouldn't eat cereal. Like that's just not my thing. But, um, I love bulletproof coffee, have not been able to touch it. Like blah, just right now, excuse me out. Maybe that'll change. Really? Um, yeah, it's like a bad thing. <laughs> um, but your first trimester is rough. Like it's, it's typically usually like the, the worst time where you're feeling sick and you have a lot of the food aversions. And then like towards the end of that first trimester, and as you're getting into your second and stuff, you know, you feel better and those food aversions are, are mostly gone. Um, so I'm looking forward to that because <laughs> right now I'm like missing that, but just also really grossed out by the idea. 
Do you have any like specific cravings? Eggs. Like eggs, that's uh -huh. the main one. Yep. Eggs is eggs are like the main one. I make hard boiled eggs in the instant pot. And then when they're done, I put a little bit of like chosen foods, avocado mayo on them and sprinkle them with paprika. That's that's my thing. Oh, speaking of instant pot, I meant to ask you, because I have an instant pot and I'm I'm like a typical bro bodybuilder that doesn't have any idea how to use it so what what's your favorite instant pot recipe oh my totally gosh random question but. line the bottom of it with like some good quality bacon and then put it to whole chicken on there you know that's like rinsed and patted dry and everything add you know a little bit of like pepper and turmeric or something that you like some oregano maybe um to that chicken like coated in that and then just set it on the poultry setting for so like the poultry settings like 25 minutes close the steam valve and then, so let it cook and then let it slow release for another like 40 minutes. It's like perfect, like chicken bacon. You can shred the chicken. It's awesome. I also make um, like pork shoulder in there. So I like, I'll brown the pork shoulder a little bit. And then I just toss it in there with like a little bit of like broth or something. Um, and then once that cooks, I cook it on the meat or I think like on high pressure for 50, five, zero minutes slow release the steam and then i like to put it in a pan to like crisp it up and put it like use it as like carnitas or something so good very nice i would definitely give those a shot because make that tonight. I would, yeah. <laughs> you get me hungry now for sure for sure i know me too like, i want some bacon <laughs> katie got one more question for you if you could give all the women ketoers out there one piece of advice that's a big loaded question here but what would it be don't compare yourself to anyone else. Your body and your journey is your own. It is unique. It is beautiful. It is perfect in its own way. And whatever you are dreaming of and desiring can totally be yours. Just get out of the comparison trap and just be you. Love it. I love it. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. Yay. Well, where can people go to find out more about you, Kate? Oh, the best place to reach me is my website. It's ketogenicliving101.com. And, you know, you can like message me from there. There's some free guides you can download, but that's definitely the best place to, to find me and figure out what I'm up to. Awesome. Awesome. I'll link you out to that so people can find you, find uh, the best way to maintain ketogenic dieting while pregnant and get healthy and cook in the Instant Pot, right? Yeah. Love the best kitchen tool ever. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Kate, I really appreciate the time. Um, until next time, we'll just have to keep in touch and I'll, yes. I'll pick your brain with any other questions I have. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I love chatting with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Kate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care.